A Pod Forte podcast. The next CMO podcast explores topics that are on the minds of forward thinking marketing executives, from leadership and strategy to emerging technologies. And we bring these topics to life by interviewing leading experts in their fields. The next CMO is sponsored by Plana, makers of the world's first AI-based marketing leadership platform, and hosted by me, Peter Mahoney, the founder and CEO of Plana, along with my co-host, Kelsey Kraft. In this episode of the Next CMO podcast, we speak to Patrick Reynolds, the CMO of Bluconic, the leading provider of pure play customer data platforms. We talk about all things data with Patrick, including the changing data privacy landscape, how to leverage and actually use the data that you're collecting for your customers in permission-enabled way, the future of data, what kind of resources you need to have in your organization to take advantage of all this data, and what to think about in the coming year about the use of data. I hope you enjoy the show. Patrick, thank you so much for joining the Neximo podcast today. We're excited to have this conversation and learn a little bit more about you and what you do at Bluconic. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat. Yeah, so tell us a little bit, Patrick. Tell us the story of Patrick. How did you get here? And then pepper in a little bit about who Bluconic is all about so we can understand, get people to understand what the context is of the discussion here. Sure. So I have been at Bluconic for, I guess, about four months now. I started in the summer of this year after a couple of years at MasterCard. At MasterCard, I was leading marketing for their B2B marketing organization inside of their data and services business unit. And I came to that position primarily because MasterCard acquired my prior company, which was a company called Session M. Session M was primarily a loyalty platform, but it was very CDP-like in its structure and how we went about things. And during the five or so years I was at Session M, I was kind of keenly aware of Bluconic as you know one of the really exemplary kind of pure play CDPs in the marketplace. And we can talk about what that means in a minute. And so as I was at MasterCard, I put in a good two-year shift there. And as I was thinking about what to do next, I had a chance encounter with Corey, the president and COO of Bluconic, and we hit it off famously as it were. I had a quick chat, met a few people, met some people on the board, and the rest is kind of history. So I really enjoyed the few months that I've been here so far. I'm really looking forward to many more. Excellent. And it's interesting because I know from your background that you're a MasterCard guy. It didn't quite connect to me that you're a B2B MasterCard guy, and which is really interesting because I think you've got the perspective of dealing with data at scale, obviously, but applying it in a way that B2B marketers think about things, which is exciting because I believe there's a huge opportunity for marketers to think differently about data, and it's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show. But maybe we should start by just addressing the alphabet soup and and help people understand what a CDP is and why should they care. So a customer data platform is a piece of software that 
enables a marketer primarily, a business user, but a company, to ingest different sources of data and to sort of harmonize that and create unified profiles for each customer. And the way I think about this typically is I probably have different transactions that a brand might associate in a BP Reynolds, some Pat Reynolds, some Patrick Reynolds, some Buffalo Reynolds, which is my email, some with a business email, some with a mobile number, right? So what a CDP does is it takes in all these different disparate data sources and it normalizes that data to be unified in a single profile. And that profile is then actionable to do further marketing. So rather than having 10 different P Reynolds or variations of that, you get that single golden record, that snowflake profile that's unique to just me. Makes sense. And help people understand the distinction between a CDP and what they use their CRM for. A CRM is really a a conduit for one-to-one marketing. A CRM could live on top of a CDP, right? So that's where a CRM is basically, I want to have a personal direct marketing, direct relationship with you. That's awesome. And we work with lots of CRMs. You have to know who you is though. And you have to have the most current information available to have that specific one-to-one conversation. So that CRM is much more about kind of how you communicate and it's less about how you gather and unify profile. Is the world that you're dealing in, Patrick, getting interesting? We just talked about how you recently moved from the Boston area back to Buffalo, where you grew up, as an example. People are now more mobile than ever. ever. Sometimes people have multiple locations they live in. Kelsey just moved down to Florida. So people are all over the place. Uh, And I suspect that's not going to stop. Maybe there was a brief spike of accelerant during the pandemic, but I think people have now forever sort of learned to, to move around. Has that confounded people in your world who are trying to track who an individual is when they're now fragmented all over the planet as well as the digital landscape? Yeah, it's a really interesting topic because so, you know, heretofore, maybe Kelsey has a bunch of transactions associated with different places in Boston. And now all of a sudden we're seeing somebody that sort of looks a lot like Kelsey, except it's all in Florida now. So is that the same person? Is that a doppelganger? Is that a right? What is that exactly? And so that's where you have to be able to ingest this data and then actually figure out who the customer is amidst all these ones and zeros. Who's the actual, where is Kelsey in that equation? And once you figure that out, you can learn based off of location data and other things. Okay, Kelsey is now, for some length of time, going to be in Florida. That actually changes the way that many brands would engage with her, right? You might not talk so much about, take one of my favorite former customers. You might not talk about hot coffee. You might flip that conversation to iced coffee for Kelsey because that's the context that you now have through the new data that Kate, that Kelsey is presenting. What about this new world that we're living in with, you know, cookies about to, you know, completely disappear and all these new privacy laws, GDPR? How do we stay, you know, compliant with this type of data that we're gathering? So you really need to keep on top of it because it's fast changing. And the other thing is it's very different by location. So California has a very sort of strict interpretation of privacy that's different than other states in the U.S. Europe has always had a very high standard for privacy and things like the right to be forgotten, etc. So you really kind of have to know not only where you are, but where is Kelsey? So Kelsey, if you don't have a really good CDP, for example, Kelsey could have moved to California and now be 
subject to different interpretation of privacy than she would have been in Massachusetts versus UK versus Netherlands, et cetera. So it is fast moving and you need to keep on top of it. For example, at MasterCard, there is a small army of people that do just privacy things to make sure that they are on the right side of the law. Many people who will listen to this podcast have undoubtedly read judgments against many companies that you'll be familiar with for playing fast and loose with privacy, not necessarily out of neglect, but just out of not knowing. And so it's something that you have to be constantly sort of on top of. We're fortunate in many different ways, but we originated actually in the Netherlands. And so we have been, you know, privacy by design. Privacy is literally the wellspring from which we came. So we've always had that front and center, but you it's constant vigilance. I forgot about the the Netherlands connection with Bluconic. I literally just got back two weeks ago from a vacation in the Netherlands, uh, which, was, was, which was beautiful. So are you in Amsterdam or in one of the surrounding areas? or We are in a town or a city, I guess, called Nijmegen, which is out mm-hmm. towards the German border. I think it's about an hour and a half or thereabouts from, from Amsterdam. Well, it's great because obviously being the seat of the EU government, the understanding what those EU privacy laws are all about and how they're changing is important. And what you're seeing, of course, is that in a lot of cases, some of the privacy laws apply to the citizen, not where they're located. So so you could be an EU citizen who happens to be in Bangladesh or in Florida, and you still have to comply with the same privacy laws. So is there a strategy that says, well, let's just do the strictest thing in the world? Or is there a more sophisticated approach that people should use where they really try to determine what is what are the boundaries with this individual? Or do you just assume the worst or the best, depending on your perspective? Well, I think it's certainly wise to err on the side of caution. And again, you do need people who are privacy experts. You do need software, including vendors that you may be using to execute that are all compliant and have all the right certifications, et cetera. Again, it's not something you can't do it one and done and be done with it. It's constant auditing and you know potentially revising policies, et cetera. So it's, it takes a village to be compliant and you just have to be on top of it. But to your point, it's complex. It's not where you are. It's not just where they are. It could be where they're from, et cetera. I mean, it's a myriad of factors. So let's start to talk about some of the use of this data for marketers. So I've got all this data. I've got all this great information. And a, an interesting thing to think about is, well, how am I going to use this? And actually, one question I had that's semi-related is, if you had to guess what percentage of data that marketers collect on people is actually used or even usable? Two different questions. I tend to think most of it is usable. I tend to think a very small percentage, possibly single digit, is used, certainly in a time-sensitive fashion. Yeah, it's interesting. My my experience is, and I, I worked, you know, a dog's age ago, actually three dogs ages ago, to be exact, in the personalization world. And and one of the big challenges back in the early days, this was around 2000. So we're not going to ask what Kelsey was doing in 2000, but but back in 2000, when some of these personal, we I worked for a company that made a personalization server that you could use to drive personalization on your website, as an example. Great. One of the problems is that that even if you had great data, marketers didn't really know how to design campaigns in a way that could actually take meaningful action. And my theory is 
that as the tools have become much, much more sophisticated, the marketers still haven't gone much further beyond, except in some maybe uh, narrow exceptions. So yeah. most marketers, I don't think, really have the the background, the capability, the tools, et cetera, to actually take action. Is that accurate or do I have an old view of the world, Patrick? I don't think so. I think it's quite accurate. So I think it's a little bit about orientation and experience. So if you haven't worked with certain data sets in the past, maybe you find it a bit challenging. I think it's a resourcing question. Are you actually equipped with the people and the processes and the platforms to make sense and chew through this data? And then it's also kind of, you know, I'm a big believer as a marketer and, you know, muscle memory. People tend to want to do things the way they have done things and they're loath to change. And that's why you need new blood such as Kelsey on the regular. Champions adjust is one of my favorite quotes as we're going through this major acquisition on the plan on planful side. But what are, you know, some of these brands that I think of that are more on the consumer side, right? And they're using third parties or using retailers. What can they do to be more adaptable and really be less reliant on this third party for data? Yeah, I mean, so we're working with a lot of customers now who are in the sort of the goods area, right? They're consumer goods or consumer packaged goods. And you tend to think of those people as very arm's length with the customer, right? Most of the data they get, they get through their retail partners, right? And there's a time lag and there's who knows what editorial that goes into that, et cetera. So they don't always have a great sense of the end user. They have a sense of who bought it from them, but not who that person sold it through at retail, right? So I think what you're finding now, though, is almost everyone in that good space is forging a direct relationship with the customer. It could be things like register your product online and tell us some things about you and we can give you some benefits there. It's often a loyalty program where if you sign up here, give us a little bit of information about you, we can give you some discounts and offers, which allows them to you know, amass a trove of information co collectively as well as on the individual customer level. It could be things like just how-to tips and tricks, recipes in the case of like a CPG company. It could be user forums, you know, for people in like the biking community or the, you know, the rowing community, et cetera. You can create forums where people will interact through you with each other and you can learn things about them, even if observationally through that as well. So I think most people in that space are starting to forge direct relationships with customers too. Swag is another good one. Merch. There's all kinds of things that you can do. So if you looked at, at what marketers are doing in general, and if you assume that most marketers aren't doing nearly enough when it comes to creating a, an appropriate data relationship with their customers, what are the one or two things that every marketer should be doing to try to create these stronger relationships with their customers to create the, the data flow? Yeah. So I've yet to meet a marketer. Actually, let me step back a little bit. So I've yet to meet a marketer that has told me, I just don't have any data. What they say is I have so much God bless the data. I can't sort of, again, I can't find the customer amidst all the data. And if I do find the customer in all these different disparate data sources, by the time I figure that out, they're right, they're now in Florida. And here I am trying to put a plan together for them being in Boston. So it's really kind of data 
being unwieldy and siloed and inaccessible, that's the problem. It's not that they don't know how to or don't want to deal with it. They just don't have the apparatus, if you will. Again, there's people, there's process, and there's platforms. So you should invest in all three of those people, people who are proficient with data, a process by which data comes in, data goes into, in this case, a CDP, where it can be, right, it can be unified with other data to create a composite profile that's up to date and near real time or as close to real time as you can do it based off of how you ingest the data, right? So I think you do need tools to do it well. That's the first thing. The second thing though is really kind of fundamental whether you're talking about 2000 or 2010 or 2023 is value the customer, right? The customer is giving you through declared data, through data that you observe, through data that you know you can append through other data sources. There's ways to really know your customer. And any marketer worth their salt can do amazing things if they really know the customer. I am a much better marketer knowing that, Peter, you were in the sort of SaaS business, if you will, in 2000 in Boston. Kelsey, I could do much better work to target you and to engage with you knowing that you've recently moved to Florida. And the data tells you both of those things. It's not that I have to go around and ask every single customer. We're constantly emitting data that tells us we've moved, we've changed positions, we've done all these different things. The key is getting it at your fingertips in a timely fashion. So at what point do you think a marketing team needs to hire their first data wrangler? I mean, it's a question of as you're scaling, you know, if you're in a mature company, it's yesterday. If you're in a if you're in a company that's growing, it's probably should be one of your first recs. Because again, if we if you accept the premise that 2023 will be challenging in many different ways, which is a premise that I accept grudgingly, it's gonna create a need to focus on what you have and less on constantly going after what you don't have. So you gotta focus on what you have and to Create the best customer experience for the customers you have, not the prospects you don't have, but the customers you do have. You need to work with data to figure out what does that look like? What form should that take? Right message, right time, right venue, right? All that stuff. Data is at the heart of that. So otherwise you're flying blind. I guess digging into 223, I mean, it's all the talk right now of, you know, we're either in a recession or we're going to be entering a recession. And, you know, this data that we're constantly getting of, you know, people either spending more or less, whatever it is that we're taking and understanding of what's going on in the world, how can companies find a way to either become recession-proof or prepare for this major, you know, economic downturn that is right in front of us? So this is where I want to hook on to the last question. I think if you have a facility with data Marketing is typically bringing outside-in perspective to an organization. That's kind of the role that we do, right? So we're looking out to the non-customers and saying, like, this is what they're responding to, this is what they're not responding to. As you put your various campaigns out there, your various forms of engagement, bring that data back to the organization, right? This is what these pe- this segment is responding to this message. They're not responding to this message. Or this price point is moving, this price point not moving. Yeah. Florida, different than Massachusetts, different than Boston, different than Buffalo, different than, right? So having a facility with data is critical to that. And that goes back to making sure you have people that can 
use that, the data that you yeah, have. That's a perfect point. I remember even just in the pandemic, you know, there were obviously industries that were hit significantly. You think of the travel industry, you think of the hotels, resorts, all that. I mean, you could see the changes just by the data that, that people were you know, bringing, in, bringing into their market. Yeah. And the economy doesn't hit everyone equally. Yep. Some markets are hit harder. Some segments are hit harder than others, right? You find things like beer and spirits, like through the roof in a downtime. You find things like clothing, maybe it goes down. You find cars, depending on the supply line, right? It, there's all kinds of things, but the data will tell you who's doing what. You just have to know how to interpret it. Although my sweatpants budget has gone up pretty significantly, just to be clear. I got a lot so of sweaters it's up here, but down beneath, it's just sweats all over the <laughs> Exactly. So, so, Patrick, put on your Nostradamus glasses and help me understand what are the data sources of the future that you think are going to be richest for marketers that people aren't really tapping into yet? Yeah, I mean, so with the Internet of Things, which is an expression that I cringe at dramatically, so I just want to flag myself on that. I think by 2025, there's going to be something like 45 billion different devices that are emitting and receiving data. So as a marketer, there is actually a small percentage of those that are meaningful to you, right? So some toasters are going to give you information that's important and some are. It depends on what you sell and what you do, right? So you have to have that kind of left brain, right brain thing to know what to lean into and what to leave behind. Because if you try to take in all this data, again, it's an avalanche. You can't deal with it. So you have to know where am I going to find data that's resonant that I can actually make stuff with. At the end of the day, the way I think about data is this, first-party data. The customer is giving you data, either, again, like declared data, like I'll join your loyalty club, right? And I'll say, I'm this person, this is how many people are in my household, this is my household income, all that stuff. And then you can observe them when they open an app, when they go to a store, when they go online, right? So there's that declared plus observed data, plus there's other sources of data, right? But with that, I can make experiences that are really resonant. But if I have to wade through 20,000 other experiences, you know, pieces of data that are extraneous, I can't get to the good stuff. And that's, you have to kind of know how to separate the wheat from the chaff. So I thought you might say something different, and maybe it, there are multiple strategies here when it comes to sort of collecting data. And maybe you're not saying don't collect the data, because I'd imagine that with some of the sophisticated ML-based tools out there these days, you just collect everything that you can. And you may not know the features of the data that are most interesting that might help you understand where the next customer is going to come from. But maybe a sophisticated model would be able to identify that hey, it happens to be, you know, your consumption of paper clips or who knows, right? What are the things that are going to drive a potential, a potential customer? Data storage is cheaper than ever. Data processing is cheaper than ever. Why not just take it all? So I'm coming at this from a marketing-centric perspective. I think enterprise-wide, organizationally, you should take it all. That data, if not today, tomorrow, will be of value to somebody. I look at it this way. I look at data as like electricity. If I flick a light switch, I need a certain packet of data that is going to make that 60-watt bulb or incandescent or whatever, LED, right? You name it. 
I don't need a nuclear reactor to do that. So I guess what I'm saying is find the right data source for the application. And you can't have to go through every single available data source if I just need a light. Now, if I need to light an entire city, if I need to light an EV car or, you know, power an EV car, like those are different things. And you'll learn about that over time. But as a marketer, recency is critical, critically important, right? If somebody's engaging with you right now, I don't need to know necessarily their former address. I just don't. I need to know what I need to know. I need to know what are they doing right now and what have they done of relevance historically. And of relevance is where MI and, or AI and ML come in, Peter, to your point. But I don't need to know every possible piece of data that we're collecting as a marketer. Other people may, but I personally don't think that I do. Yeah, interesting. I think there's there there are some. It depends on how you think about your marketing role, right? There there may be around. As an example, there may be there may be insights that could be derived from analyzing all that data. And as a marketer, you might care about that. There may be a specific campaign workflow actions that you're taking that are much more specific about a small subset of the data that might be useful for you. Totally so agree. Let's talk about the relationship between the data and in the customer and the customer's right to that data. How do you think the customers, what do you think the customer's right is to, to their data? And do you see that changing over time? I think the customer's data is literally a possession that they can revoke at any point in time. And the, that's where it's, it, that's where it is in some places. And that's definitely where it's going, I think, everywhere where there has been such malfeasance on the part of marketers and businesses that we have killed the goose that laid the golden egg in my view. And so people, if they want their data back, they're gonna get it back. And if you don't give it back and give it back in the way that is prescribed by law, you are in for rough sledding would be my short answer to that. I think of it as a simple value. I'm willing to give Starbucks information about me so that I get a better experience. When that covenant is broken, I reserve the right to take that data back, right? And I think at the end of the day, data, people are going to pay for goods and services with data in addition to with currency. And in a sense, data is currency, right? I think I'm going to give you information with the expectation you're going to give me an experience that is derived largely from that information, plus other things that you do because you're good at what you do, right? But if I'm giving you my data and I'm not benefiting from giving you my data, I'll probably reserve the right to take my data back. I want to build off this specifically because we, Peter and I did an incredible podcast with One Trust talking about, you know, trust of data, trust of, you know, it's at an all-time low. So, how can we, you know, make sure that as customers, consumers, as brands, how can we build trust with our audience and how can we make sure that the data is being used in a proper manner? Because I think that is one of the biggest struggles as marketers with this influx of data that we're getting constantly. Yeah, so that's a great question. I think trust is built and amassed over time, but it's poisoned in a single screw up. So to me, it's changing data from stuff that you collect to stuff that you use. If people start to feel, oh, I see how this is now benefiting me. I can see how because I bought these two things, they're able to recommend I should look at this and maybe give it to me at a hot price point. That's actually cool. 
If I'm just giving you data for you to sell it to someone else who can spam me, right? That's not cool. So we can sever that cord right now. So I think the more that people do what we've talked about in this podcast, which is take the data you're collecting and put it back to use, starting with the person that originated the data. You can extrapolate it. You can find lookalikes and I'm a big pro segment guy, et cetera, et cetera. But start with the person that gave you their data. Make their experience better. And then that's how trust is built over time. But again, it, it only takes one misstep to, to erode all of that. Yeah. And they say there's a lot of confusion when it comes to consumers, too, around why the data is being collected. And one of my favorite saying is, is that remember that if you... If it's free, then you're probably the product, right? So it, it's because you're, the data from you is what's driving, what's driving the service at the end of the day. I think one thing that's been really striking to me about this conversation, Patrick, and you've communicated this in a very calm and reassuring way, and, but I think we should probably be screaming this from the mountaintops a little bit more, is that as we enter 2023, and I think by the time the podcast hits the airwaves for the first time, it will be in 2023, we have to get our act together around what's going on with data as marketers. And that means we need to have the people and process and systems in place to make sure that we are doing the right thing. And especially of this time of incredible uncertainty, where we don't know what the economy is going to look like. We don't know what, you know, the world is going to look like. I guess you can always say that. And But we do know that the rules around handling data are going to become more and more stringent over time. Mm-hmm. And the cost of not being able to handle that data effectively is going to get higher and higher over time, which says to me that this should be an urgent priority for any CMO, especially if they don't have it on their priority list. You're probably not going to disagree with me, are you, Patrick, on this point? I am in violent agreement, as the kids say. I think you need to double down on your existing customer experience. And the best way to do that is with data, making data-informed decisions on engagement. You know, the other thing that you say, that if you don't know what the product is, you're the product. There's another old axiom from my advertising days that, you know, advertising is the price of free. Right. So if everything's free, expect a lot of ads. But if you're if you can create a different value exchange, then maybe you don't get so many ads. If you look at Spotify and Netflix and a lot of other things, you know, they're creating personalized experiences at scale with little in some cases, no advertising. And people, for the most part, are generally pretty happy with those. And I think that why do they do that? They have tons of data that you voluntarily give declared, and then they observe what shows, what songs you like, and then they use their AI and ML to say, if you like those, you'll probably like these. And it gets stickier and stickier all the time. Yeah, what would be interesting to see, so by the way, I'm a a sucker for the paid ad-free experience. I pay for Hulu without ads. I pay for YouTube without ads. And, but of course, they're still collecting data. And the question is, would Will there be a time in the future where people, you have tiers of pricing, right? That say, hey, here's the price without ads. Here's the price without any data. And I wonder if people would do it and then start to suffer the lack of personalization and end up going back. Because I suspect that the data is incredibly valuable to both sides of the equation. I don't even know how you'd price it. But have you seen anyone try anything like that? Basically, don't take any data completely anonymous and, and, but... 
I guess it's not anonymous, so you have to pay, then at least they have your credit card. But I mean, I guess you get into the dark web and crypto and things like that. But, you know, it's funny. You could it's so dystopian on two levels where I don't think there's a business model that would support the very small number of people who would pay the cost, which would be exorbitant, right, to collect no data. So that's the first problem. You'd have to really change everything. And secondly, I think you bring up a really good point. People don't want to give no data. They just don't want to have that data used against them. People actually want to use want to give their data if they get a good experience back. I mean, I think, you know, Starbucks is just a model for this, right? I love that they know that I'm approaching a Starbucks, that I can order a drink and have it ready there in a totally contactless experience when I get there. That's baller to me. I absolutely love it. And I'm happy that they know that about me. Now, if I found out they were doing something untoward with it, we'd have to have a different conversation. But I love that. I only like, I only don't like it when it doesn't, immediately come back to benefit me. So getting a lot of data and getting spam is a terrible experience, unsufferable. (laughs) Well, believe it or not, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time here. I do just want to make sure people know that this topic of data and privacy and personalization and all of these things is incredibly important for all of us. Patrick's company's website has some great resources on all of these topics, blueconic.com, and there's some great resources there. So we'll put a link in the show notes so people can check them out for some more advanced reading in this area. But we do have our last question that Kelsey will ask us through before we wrap up. So Kelsey, take it away. Patrick, what advice would you give to those that are CMOs or aspiring to be one someday? I would say think about the data that you have as something that you use, not something that you collect or keep or store. So if you have it and you're not using it, ask yourself why that is. That's great. Good advice. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Patrick. What a great conversation. And make sure to follow the next CMO and plan out on Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you have any ideas for topics or guests, you can email us at the next CMO at plana.com. Have a great day, everyone. Thank Thanks, you, Patrick. Patrick. Thank you. Forte Podcast.